Welcome to another episode of Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Ben Dahl, here as we continue going team by team to preview the 2019 WNBA season, which is just days away. And next up, we've got the Atlanta Dream, and on the line to preview the season for the Dream, I've got LaChina Robinson. LaChina, how are you doing today? Hey, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. So... I think an important place to start with the Dream and a couple of the teams that made deep runs last season is just to kind of, I wanted to ask you to kind of reflect on just the fact that they made the semifinals first and just what you kind of make of that now that there's been some more time uh, between between now and the end of the season. Yeah, um, it was truly a, a magical season. Um, I, I don't think anyone really predicted um, you know, the year that the Atlanta Dream had. I think some people were excited about it, knowing that Nikki Collin came in with a um, very respected reputation. And when you looked at Atlanta's roster, there were a team that, you know, you knew had some pieces in place. But, um, you know, I really felt like the moves of Jessica Breland and Renee Montgomery and even later on Alex Bentley, the way all of those things kind of came together – it just solidified the identity of the team. And, um, you know, I just, looking back, it was a great foundation for what's really on paper a young team uh, that has a bright future. And, and their their decision to bring on Nikki Collin, obviously, I mean, it was obviously a smashing success. I mean, they, they just totally seemed to click in every aspect where, you know, they were top two defense. And they... Just they figured out enough offensively. You know they don't have the most three point shooters in the world. They don't have, you know, they don't have a bunch of stretch bigs. But they figured it out, and they really kind of came to this, came to this interesting place before Angel McCautry went down. So I think I and also I kind of wanted to ask you like specifically, what do you make of that groove they found before uh, Angel got hurt? And they were obviously a a, a really scary thought as kind of a, a championship contender. Yeah, they really hit their stride uh, right before Angel got injured. And, you know, they were starting to put some new wrinkles in. And, I mean, you mentioned it how, uh, you know, the, the first thing I think that stood out to me the way they, they started to play right in that stretch was like Elizabeth Williams kind of found her stride at the point of the season and never lost it. You know, like she had been watching some film with the coaches and realized she was doing a lot of watching and wasn't active enough and getting herself in position for rebounds and different situations like that. So I thought that her growth, her level of activity um, definitely added to that. But they started to put more wrinkles in, you know, like Angel McCautry was posting up more, right? Like um, as she, as they moved towards that point in the season where she got injured against uh, Las Vegas and then, um, you know, again, just all the little things that Nikki had been trying to teach because the one thing that she kept saying all season was, you know, these are all rookies to me, you know? Like, right. she didn't really know any of the players hadn't worked with them extensively, especially from a head coach's position previously. So, I mean, it takes time for a team to put that identity in, to figure out what they want to do defensively, what is their identity, what are her expectations. Um, you know, their chemistry, especially, again, adding in, like, a Renee Montgomery and Breland and, uh, you know, pieces like that. So I just really felt like they found a point in the season where they started to understand defensively what the expectation was, 
really have full confidence in Nikki Collin and what she does in the huddles and, you know, how she runs her team and, um, you know, her ability to just come up with great game plans. So they really started to buy into all of that, and you saw the results of it on the court. I want to follow up on something you said about Elizabeth. Uh, You know, a player that isn't, when a player isn't like this dominant post-up player and they don't shoot threes, I think sometimes it can be easy to kind of almost write them off or just overlook how much value they can they can add offensively. And I hadn't heard I hadn't heard anyone bring up that point that you just said about her about how she kind of how she kind of hit her stride and 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 realized that she was kind of watching a lot. I mean, what what do you you know what what do you see? I mean, is there another player that you kind of reminds you of 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 that kind of impact with her kind of skill set? And just I mean, what does it kind of say about her to to kind of find her way when it maybe isn't as easy to find those those ways to pick her spots. Yeah, Elizabeth is extremely unique as a player. I've said that since she was in high school. That was the first time I met her. And first of all, she's extremely cerebral. Like, obviously, Duke educated, wants to be, wants to get into the medical field one day. And so she sees the game and really analyzes the game. And at some point in the season, she even said, like, I, you know, she's doing a lot of thinking and not enough moving. And so, um, you know, I think, first of all, just that awareness. But, I mean, she's so long. She's got big hands. Um, I, I thought she and Jessica Brillen working together, the way they started to double the post and some of their rotations and the tips and deflections that they get defensively. Um, I mean, obviously they don't show up on the stat sheet, but they're crucial for Atlanta and the way they want to play and the way they want to get out and run and the pace they want to have. Um, you know, and, and offensively, I think she has really started to move a lot better off of pick and roll situations and slips from the high post and step up, you know, understanding um, how she can get her scoring because she's not the most skilled offensive player, uh, meaning she doesn't have a million moves, but if she can get around the basket, she's got a knack for finishing. And, you know, I, I think her best days are even still ahead of her because she just has so much of a great upside. Yeah, one thing one thing that's that's fun to watch about Elizabeth is she does really like she has really developed this this great habit of I mean she she bolts to the rim like she really goes once she sets those screens and you can kind of see you can see those moments where like the defense just might might want to react and like and they're they're already like starting to do it but she's just like she gets there too fast and they just can't they can't close her off in time but that that other yeah, player I mean, she gets up and down the floor in the full court, but she's also just reading better and getting to spots quicker, which just, you know, helps the flow of the entire offense. Yeah, and, and that, that other player next to her in the front court, Jessica Breland, was an important off season addition for them. What what did you make what did you make of her as she kinda found her way with this group throughout the season and, and obviously, you know, defensively she you know, in a sense they you know, they replaced, you know, one of the best defensive fours in Sancho with Jess, but then also how she kind of found her role to with within the offense. Yeah, I mean, Jessica is first of all. I just think her personality fitted so well with Atlanta over the years that I covered the team. Uh, you know, the one thing I think that was very visible was that they were such an energetic team, but oftentimes that worked against them in the sense that there has to also be a calming factor. And to me, uh, Jessica 
Erica was very much that calming factor because she just brings her lunch pail every day, goes to work, very low maintenance, you know, leads by example. Um, but, you know, the thing about, you know, the dream, Sancho's ability to knock down the free throw line jump shot and even do some stretches of her career, the three-point shot, if they needed that. I mean, you and I both know, Ben, the Achilles heel for Atlanta was and continues to be their inability to hit the long ball consistently. I mean, I think they shot it at 32% last year for long range. They were 10th in the league um, in that, and they hit six a game, so they were ninth in the league in that. So Jessica is a player that when Tiffany Hayes is on the drive or Brittany Fikes is on the move or, um, you know, Angel's penetrating that can create some space in the lane that can space out and people will guard her and she can knock it down. Now, that's where I think they'll be better this year. I think last year Jessica shot maybe the second lowest percentage from the field in her career. Her lowest was the first year that she was in the WNBA, I think 2011, and she didn't even play a full season. So she just didn't shoot the ball well. And I'll tell you, I saw a lot of those shots go right in and out. And so I, I cannot imagine her having another year like that, even though she did, you know, again, start had some stretches where she, where she shot the ball well. But if she can do that consistently and then – Again, her defensive prowess, uh, you know, just continue in that space along with Elizabeth Williams. I, I just think she was a huge pickup for Atlanta. And, and you mentioned the three-point shooting, and, and in a way, the I mean, really, the the savior for them last year in that sense was Renee Montgomery. And and at the time, I, I guess like if you if you look back, just like the day that that was announced, you know, I don't know. At first, I wonder, you know, d- people didn't really seem. So sure, like, oh, is she going to start? Like, how big is her role going to be? And it just really seemed like they nailed it because then once they got her in there and she was starting, I mean, the way Nikki just kind of freed her up to just, I mean, just fire away, like, every chance she got, like, transition off a screen, it didn't matter. Just, like, and, like, it's obviously they need a little bit more from other people, but, I mean, just having her seemed to make such a difference because, I mean, defenses had to lock in so with so much urgency because she was going to gonna be getting up all these different kinds of attempts. Yeah, and Atlanta had long been in a position, um, and I would have to go back and look at some rosters and figure out when, but um, they've needed someone in the starting lineup in an important role that has championship experience. I mean, Atlanta has been to three finals, but Renee Montgomery is a WNBA champion. And so the amount of confidence and poise she brings, yes, three-point shot, you know, she and Nikki Collin had a great relationship, and so she was an extension of the coach. Um, you know, she shot her best percentage since 2011 from long range, so she's streaky, but when she gets, when she starts hitting it, she can put them down, but you mentioned her in pick and roll situation, early drag, like she's really good at making reads, but I think the most important thing that, that Renee brought was, to me, it was her impact on Tiffany Hayes, you know, they both played together at Connecticut, and I just felt like Renee brought Tiffany back to, you know, what she was at UConn in terms of her mentality, you know, and what the expectation of excellence is every day. So the positive impact she had on Tiffany, I think, um, was huge. And not to take away from anything she did on the court, but you understand as well as I do, especially when Tiffany was put in the situation to try to make up for Angel McCautry, how much it means to have someone there that knows how to motivate you and get the best out of you. And I don't think Tiffany has always had that. Yeah, and and so... And we, you know, we've hit on the shooting, and that would have been an obvious thing they would have liked to add. So, so more specifically, I wanted to, you know, what have you made of of, 
of the offseason, the you know the players they've they brought into camp and what what some of these non returners might be able to bring bring them bring to them. Yeah, so um, I really you know I, I was interested to see what Atlanta would do um, in the draft. Obviously, they drafted Brianna Turner, but then traded her for Marie Gulich and. I actually went down to Albany and saw the game, um, their game against the Washington Mystics preseason, and I like Marie Gulich a lot. I think she moves well for her size. She has good basketball instincts. She's active, uh, more offensively skilled than a Brianna Turner would have been. Now, the question is, you know, how well does she move? You know, Atlanta's a team uh, defensively that's very active, and like, you know, does a lot of switching. Uh, you know, what, what does that look like? Um, with Marie Gulich or for her in terms of, of footwork. Atlanta can do a lot of switching. I don't know what they're going to you know actually do this year, but they're a team that you know, can play a lot of different ways defensively. Um, they can get around screens. They can switch. So that, that's really my only concern. But I, I do like Gulich, and I understood after watching her a little bit more. Because at first I was like, oh, Brianna Turner is going to be perfect. Um you know, and because she can rebound and she can get up and down the floor, she's athletic. And then, you know, when she's gone, I was like, oh, what's going on? Uh, but I, I do like Gulich. And I feel like Demir Dantes is a, is a big missing piece. I mean, she had a stretch last year, but she played really well. And before she got injured, was starting to find her stride, hitting long shots, coming off of the bench, giving Atlanta a punch. And she's a team that played in Minnesota, so she has that that pedigree. And I, I thought just brought a lot to the to the team. She never really quite got in great shape, and I think the injury probably set her back a little bit. But um, I'm eager to see what she'll do in Minnesota. But she she needed they needed to try to replace her presence in some way. And I'm not saying that Marie Gulich will do that by any stretch of the imagination, but um, you know they had to to try to get some bodies in on the post. You know, I saw that they had uh, Nia Coffey and, and Haley Peters. So you get the sense that Nikki wanted to take a look at some big threes. Because when you look at Atlanta's backcourt, they're not really big. I mean, Alex Bentley comes off the bench at 5'7". Tiffany Hayes is 5'10". You know, Angel's 6'1". So she gives you some size, but obviously we don't know when she'll be back. And then Sykes at 5'9". And so... You know, it's always been interesting to me with Coffee and Peter. You know how it is. Like, can you make that transition from the four to the three? Yeah. And I don't know that either one of those players really has what it takes to do that. I did not see that skill set really translate well in that game against Washington, but it's one game with a very small sample size. And and Nia Coffee, I mean, let's not forget, she was the fifth pick in the WNBA draft. And Bill Lambert was extremely excited about her, you know, even last year. It felt like she could have a career a lot like what we saw with Quinn Cash, who eventually transitioned to the perimeter and, uh, you know, became a more impactful three-point shooter. So Coffee's got to get some pace to her game. And and I don't know that she's ready to fill into in the three spot, but you, you got to think that she's a player you can't pass up on. Um, I really like my case to Zorla. I mean, to me, then she could end up being the biggest get in the offseason because of how well she reads the pick and roll. I mean, you watch her play in Oregon. This is her game. Everything they do with the WNBA, she's been doing at Oregon. And I think that's sometimes where a lot of players in the league struggle. If you come 
from a team that played all zone, you're going to struggle defensively. If you were a big that never had to come out of the paint, you're going to struggle defensively. If you haven't, if you've never had to run a pick and roll or read one or defend one, you're going to you're going to struggle. And my take comes from a system that lends itself to the skill set she'll need in the WNBA with the pick and roll, and she can shoot the three. She's just so smooth. Like, in just a few minutes of watching her at Albany, I'm like, she's so calm and poised. There's just a smoothness to her game um, that I can appreciate. And, and I think she might end up being one of the bigger guests. Now, you'll have to tell me who I forgot, Ben. Is there anybody else? <laughs> no, that's th- those are the big ones. And, and as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, we've we've learned that they that they waived Lynette, Lynetta Kaiser. So they're at 13. So really, it... it you know, obviously they could make another move, sign somebody, or make a trade. But you know, it really could be just just one name um, is is who en- ends up having to go. But you talked you talked about Maite. I mean, Maite was so much fun to watch, and, and it was interesting because once you once you got and you know you covered Oregon a lot in person, and you just once you started watching them, like you knew Maite was just one of those players you couldn't just look at the box score because you'd see like oh you know nine points four assists like okay like you're telling me this is a pro but like she was just she was one of the players that you know they're because of their wealth of options they just didn't need it all the time from her they didn't need her to just kind of flip a switch but then especially when like sabrina unesco's on the bench there'd be plays where it's just like you know she just she just take total control of two possessions it's like oh yeah like she can you know she can she can run this run, run this ship basically as smoothly as sabrina does can they don't really have to sacrifice anything oh yeah and kelly graves often said that she was their most important player i mean she wasn't always the player that made the pass but she would make the pass before the pass and that's how she sees the floor um you know just very well in terms of you know making reads and seeing things develop and pace i mean she comes from a program where they got up and down the floor and they ran and they liked the score early in transition so she could have a very seamless transition into the WNBA. And uh, you know what you said on those those other plays was interesting. One of the one of the returners I wanted to hit on kind of in this same group was Blake Dietrich and I don't know if if I missed something that was out there with as far as reporting goes that if I don't know if she's considered a lock necessarily so maybe she's in this position but just seeing that team up close and and being around Nikki a lot like what did you what did you take away from from what they really thought of her season? Because uh, we've heard so many people in the, in the WNBA say now, like you can't just be a specialist. So she she made threes for them, but you know there's obviously more to it that really that really helped her stick with them in the first place. Yeah, I um, you know the sense I got from Nikki was really that she liked Blake Dietrich a lot, and and, and more because of what she does for the culture of the team. Um, I mean, last year she was saying that she really just couldn't cut her. You know, she wanted her to develop a better handle and, and, you know, be a better passer, but that she's a tireless worker and she's great at her craft. And, yes, she is a specialist, but her teammates believe that every shot's going in. And, you know, you have to chase her, so she's going to keep a defender busy. Um, and, And they need someone who can create space. Now, what she'll do this year, I haven't seen you know, enough of her to know, you know, off season if, if she has improved in those areas, but if she has even a little, um, you know, she could she could do some good things. Um I, I I'm just not sure. I think her value will find out based on how other players 
hit the long ball, to be honest with you. I mean, because Alex Bentley has the ability, um, Brittany Sykes has the ability, shot the ball well from long range in the playoffs. Tiffany Hayes has the ability to hit long shots. And so I think whether she actually touches the floor or not, if Nikki cares if she touches the floor or not, she might not. You know, how many teams are going 12 deep? But if she's going to work hard every day and, you know, bring all of the intangibles and and that's what works for their team. I go back to the LA Sparks championship team. They had a bench that really never touched the floor, (laughs) but they were the greatest cheerleaders. And every time you talk to Neto or Candace or one of those players, you know, they were like, listen, these are the guys that really keep us going. These are the real MVPs. So um, supporting cast can mean a lot of different things. And and you mentioned Brittany Sykes just there. And, I kind of want to talk now a little bit about however long this period ends up lasting where they, they're waiting on Angel. Obviously, we all hope she's able to get back on the court this season, but not to necessarily put everything on Sykes's shoulders, but she's got this big opportunity now where the minutes are going to be there. So how can she kind of be a catalyst for them from the start of the season? Yeah. Um, you know, I thought one of the biggest questions as we headed down the stretch of last season after Angel McCarthy got injured was, okay, can Tiffany Hayes be, be Batman or is she just Robin, right? And then for Brittany Sykes, can she be Robin, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, as she was called into that role? And you have to look at her numbers during the playoffs. I thought she showed up fairly well on the offensive end. I mean, she shot 47% from the field. 41% from three-point range, 13 points per game. Um, but where she struggled oftentimes is just in the little things. Defensively, she'd get lost or she'd forget a box out. And I blame Quentin Hills in Syracuse for all her defensive struggles because <laughs> he beat that zone into her head. And now, <laughs> now she's trying to remember what man-to-man looks like in her first couple years in WNBA. But, you know, as we would find out later, she wasn't totally healthy down the stretch of the season, so she had some, some off-season surgery. And, again, for Sykes, it's just doing the little things. I think it's being more experienced. She can be a great defender if she put, makes up her mind that's what she's going to do. And they need that, honestly. Like, Tiffany Hayes had the responsibility last year of, especially after Asia went down, scoring the most points and guarding the other team's best player. Well, Brittany Sykes is athletic. She's quick. You know, and the WNBA is full of talented two and threes. So if she can assert herself defensively, that is going to help a lot. That's going to create some offensive easy baskets. When you look at Atlanta in terms of their defense, like you mentioned, was great. Was not so stellar the last couple games of the playoffs, but for the season, it was great. It was their offense. But how can they generate more of that is the question. We talked about the three-point shot. Um, but can they convert more in the open court in those situations? Again, Jessica Breland, I think, will you know shoot the ball better. Um, but Brittany Sykes' ability to create and wreak havoc on the defensive end should be a factor. So can she stay on the floor? I mean, there are times where you know Nikki Collin has to you know pull her out early, settle her in because that energy is great, but it's got to be focused energy. I think the world of Brittany Sykes. I, I just think. When the light switch goes on for her, it is going to, I mean, really go on, Ben. She she has WNBA all-star potential. Is it this year? 
I don't know, especially coming off of the, the injury. It could be, but she has it in her. Yeah, the, it was important for you to note there kind of the differences between, you know, the little stuff of just of just locking in and knowing where somebody is because one of the awesome things about Sykes's game is, I mean, she really is in this elevated class athletically as a guard where she just she makes these kind of plays where like you just very few oh, very man. few players can go yeah. and do that stuff like to to like get chased down blocks and like come across the lane and to pin somebody. I mean, oh my god! I mean, you're. I mean, <laughs> her I, shot blocking. Yeah. Is Yeah, and it's it's, and you know, like Elena Coates got traded today a little bit before we did this, but like, you know, the 2017 draft, like it's look, it's not. I'm not trying to like totally dump all over it. There have been some really good players to come out of it, but for the fact that they got her at seven, like that, I mean, that's been that's been huge for them. And and like you mentioning like kind of her all star potential. I mean, she could she could go down as the best player to come out of that draft, and and that's you know the kind of the kind of thing a team needs where you can get that contribution from a player like that kind of like you know the team that beat them with Washington and, and Ariel Atkins to get someone like that at 10 yeah yeah i mean and Sykes has had a lot of nagging injuries not just this year but you know her first like she has had she has not had the consistency because she has not been healthy that's one of the reasons um, but you're right. I mean, when you look at that class, I was surprised she dropped so low. I mean, and, and now you're looking at Ania Coffey, who went five, and Sykes went seven. I think Shatori Walker-Kimbrough went six. She'll have an amazing year. I mean, she lit Atlanta up in Albany. Evelyn Apatore, no clue how that all went down. You know, and then you, you just hope that Alicia Gray and, and Elena Coates and Kelsey Plum, um, you know, show improved. Plum's definitely improved. I think Alicia Gray and their sophomore campaign took a step back. But you're right, that class, when you look at it on paper, very interesting. Yeah. So so let's talk about the player that's going to be Sykes' running mate. Let's talk about Tiffany Hayes. Uh, <laughs> a very a very interesting year for her for a lot of reasons. And it, it, it's... The, you know this community is still relatively small, so it's it's. I think it's easy for us to kind of want to move on from stuff, but it's just like, I'm sorry, like I'm I'm not gonna stop talking about it. Like, the fact that she cannot make an All Star team, it's just it's a joke, and like this stuff can't happen in this league, and it's it's just made even worse by the fact like that. I mean, she was first team All WNBA, like she was one of the two best guards. I mean, just I don't want to put you on the spot to 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 match that, but just like. I mean, what what is what did she show last year? Just kind of about like about her standing in the league as one of the top guards. You know, it's um, it's really sad that Tiffany has not gotten the respect over time that she deserved from a, from an all star standpoint. And, and I blame it on a number of things. I kind of I accuse the media of being Atlanta Dream biased. Um, I've said that on several occasions. I think people have their idea of what beautiful basketball looks like. And for some reason, because Atlanta is not a great three-point shooting team, I think people hold that against them. Um, But you have to appreciate 
athleticism, their defensive prowess, you know, the run with the dream, even though they don't use that mantra anymore. Like, just fits the team. I mean, they're, they're so fun to watch. And I think at times, and often because Angel has been either loved or hated, right, over her career, which I hope that it's more loved now, especially because, I mean, look at what she's blossomed into as a person, as a player. I can understand some of the earlier frustrations, but people have not embraced Angel the way she should have been embraced. I think there's been some years where she's maybe made second team where she should have made first. And so I don't know what it is about Atlanta because, you know, it's one of the newer markets or, you know, for a while there weren't, there definitely weren't any UConn players. You know, like before uh, Tiffany came along, it was like, you know, Sancho who went to the University of Houston, Erica DeSouza who, um, you know, is from Brazil, Armenti, Harrington from Ole Miss, like there just wasn't that big college maybe following here. I don't know what it was then, but long story short, is put some respect on Tiffany Hayes, please. Um, and, and and you know I think people at least in in recent years have become more frustrated with her just because she gets into it with the officials or she gets technical fouls. Oh, this guy is Rossi. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying she's a player of Diana Taurasi's caliber, but don't let that blind you from her sheer talent. Um, it, it speaks for itself. Now, that's not, not to say there are moments that I get I don't get frustrated with Tiffany because I think she still has not hit her ceiling. We still haven't seen truly what she's capable of. I mean, she hasn't shot the three as well, has gone away from her confidence in that. Um, I think she can be a much better defender, as we talked about saying with, with, with Brittany Fike, but we saw that from Tiffany last year. And even with that, which says a lot, I mean, as great as she did defensively last season, I think there's still another level. But put some respect on her name. You know, it, it's really been frustrating for those of us that get to watch this team up close and personal to see her get shafted year after year. So I don't know what we have to do, Ben, but um, – you know, I was glad that about the WNBA selection, and, and I think that's only just the beginning for Tiffany. Well, and, I, and like, and, and Nikki was like, I mean, she's brought this up plenty of times. Like, she was very honest, and even had like a little bit of a sense of humor about the fact that you know she's she said numerous times like you know, you know, people react. You know, she with her coming from another team. You know, she said you know like like yeah, the kind of the perception of Tiffany was like oh she spends so much time on the floor, and that kind of stuff. But like yeah, I mean you yeah. can't. You, that can't be a reason to not like to like to to knock down like how good she actually is because yeah like there are plenty of names that do the same stuff and and if that like if people think that's a reason like just like just send me a tweet like whatever game I'm watching on the given night I promise I can find you someone on another team that's doing the same stuff like right. I, like it just it You're happens right. and and part of it you know you asked earlier about Nikki Collin and even with Tiffany like that's one reason why Tiffany really thrived last year is because Nikki Collin came in and said, yeah, when you're the opponent's coach, it's like, you're like, okay, get up. But she said, I love coaching the fire in her belly. Like, I, I love coaching Tiffany Hayes. And, and so for Tiffany, I think that put her at ease. So it wasn't like someone coming in trying to change her, but someone that was going to take that energy and, you know, put it into a different space. Or, you know, rechannel that energy and, and make her guard the other team's best player defensively. Um, so I, I think that, that that relationship also really helped as well. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think a good way to, to, to also spin this in a positive light, too, to, to, to kind of, you know, hopefully change some minds is, like, 
is to talk specifically like about what she's really good at, right? Because to me, I think the thing about Tiffany, and it probably doesn't get talked about enough, is I think like I think she's the most unguardable one-on-one player in the league because like Tarasi, Tarasi, especially at this this stage, she's obviously a lot more pick and roll, and she needs she needs a threat of that pull-up three, and, and Chelsea Gray is is right up there as well but she's also a lot of her game is also just kind of you know work to a spot and shoot over you but like put anyone across from tiffany hayes like if she's playing one-on-one she's going to shoot a layup or you're going to foul her and 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 that's i mean that's really what it is she's so quick and and i'll be honest with you i had a stretch where i was like thinking oh tiffany you know because when she came from uconn she had a lot more bulk on her like a lot of college players do right because they're lifting all the time and you know they're eating three or four meals a day. Like, they still eat a lot, but, you know, just, I was like, all of a sudden, her weight started to go down, and I was like, oh, Tiffany, you know, you want to keep some of that weight on so you can finish around the rim, but she's only got quicker on her feet. You know, she said from the very beginning that, you know, Allen Iverson is, is her favorite player, and so she's been watching crossovers since she was a little kid, <laughs> and yeah. she can put you on skates. Like, you do not want to see so I, you're right in that she's really, really hard to guard off of the bounce and is going to draw an extra defender. And I think that's the place where Tiffany is still even growing as well, is making that extra pass, not over-penetrating. You know, she's really starting to see the floor better, and I know that the Atlanta Dream coaching staff has worked with her a lot on that. Yeah, and, and I mean, to... to, to to kind of close out on that, I mean, my one of my favorite things too. I mean, yeah, the crossover, but like in also like in tight spaces, like she just she like pulls out these nasty spin moves like out of nowhere, like with two bigs closing in on her, and she'll just pull one of those out and like sneak right through both of them, and it's just like there's nobody else that's doing that stuff in tight spaces. It's it's so fun to watch. No doubt. So now it, it's like you know they're in this limbo where it's you know you you, you don't know when exactly angel macaccio get back and if, you know of course like nikki nikki has said like you know we're planning as if we won't have her which you know it's it's the thing you have to say and it's the the mindset you have to take but i guess i guess like how do you I mean how do you look at it just to ask it open-ended how do you assess their status as a contender if just you kind of operate under the assumption first that Angel's back at some point by the end of the regular season. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. As we were gathering for the WNBA draft, we were all talking about Atlanta and Carol Lawson. You know, someone posed the question, you know, what did we think about Atlanta if Angel wouldn't have got injured? And I was like, oh, they would have definitely made it to the finals. And Carol said, I think they would have won a WNBA championship. And so that's where really I think we all are in, in terms of what they would have been able to do without Angel, with Angel last year. So without Angel, it's tough, right? Because I still don't think that Tiffany answered the question, can she be the Batman? Now, that's not something that's answered during the regular season. That's something that you would you would have to lift your team to during the playoffs or during a key game or things like that. So we're a ways from really bad being defined, but I just really, and you hope Angel is back by then, but it's going to be the dependency of Brittany Sykes that carries them. It's going to be Alex Bentley coming back and doing exactly what she did last year. You know, it's going to be them hitting a couple
couple more three-point shots and opening up some driving lanes to hope that hopefully loosen up their offense and uh, you know, converting from their defense to the offense. I think their defensive schemes will be much tighter and better this year and year two under Nikki Collin. Now they've had some time to really understand the expectation. You know, I thought that was one of the things that been in last year in against Washington. I mean, Washington, their offense was better than Atlanta's defense at the end of the day. I mean, in the two losses in games four and five, uh, Washington scored 97 points, shot 50% from the field and 47% from three, game four. I didn't put game five on here, but um, it might have actually been the other way around. But long story short, um, you know, it just wasn't a defensive – it wasn't the defensive showing that they would have wanted. And I, and I know there were injuries and bumps and things along the way, and so they got a chance to redeem themselves. And can, can Atlanta win a WNBA championship? Absolutely. I think their chances are better if they get Angel McCartney back. She is, by the numbers, one of the best playoff performers in WNBA history. You can't deny that, period. She's a closer, you know? I mean, she basically carried three teams to the finals on her back. So that can't be discounted here, (laughs) especially on a team where – only Renee Montgomery really has substantial um, championship experience in this league. So, you know, I'm hearing, I mean, I don't know. I haven't heard this officially from Angel. I actually saw her and talked a little bit to her on the phone the other day. But, you know, I, I don't know the official word. I, I don't think she's going to be back anytime soon. Like, I think they'll probably have to play a month, maybe two without her. Um, so it's all about how she comes back. But, you know, the good thing about McCartry and the difficult thing, her mindset upgrades the team right away just because she's always on attack mode. You know, she, she does such a good job of turning up the intensity of the game for everyone else and creating opportunities for, other, for everyone else. The other part of that is Angel's not a shooter. And so she's not going to have a ton of time to get comfortable in the game just sitting back and shooting jumpers whenever she does return. She likes to get in the gap. She likes to play off the dribble. So how comfortable will she be in doing that once returning, especially at a high level? I mean, it's a lot to ask uh, of a player, uh, you know, especially coming back later in the season. So um, I'm excited about the dream. I mean, I, I get to live, you know, I live 10 minutes from the arena, and even though I won't be calling the game, this year I will be at the game because I just love watching them play and what Nikki Collin and her staff has done has been tremendous. And, um, you know, with some little tweaks and some little improvements here and there in some different areas, this could be a very good team. And I'm interested to see what happens in year two. Yeah, and, and that's that's interesting that, uh, that, that Kara had said that about Atlanta, I guess. Now that I think about it, you know, I think they they might have been one of the best matchups for Seattle because I, I don't think, you know, I don't think that Seattle's spacing would have necessarily scared them as much with with the personnel that they have defensively and really, you know, Breland and Breland and Williams are really built for built for kind of those kind of assignments. Yeah, and I would have to go back and look then because I can't remember, but I thought they fared pretty pretty well against Seattle last year in the regular season. Yeah, and and I mean, they I would have to go back. To and they they had a the or I don't know if they played there twice or once, but the the game I'm thinking of when they played there, and they pulled it out late, I believe. Uh, Tiffany had like some real daggers, and and that was another thing with it too, where 
you know, as, you know, I'm not sure Seattle really would have had a matchup for her because they would have had to use Alicia Clark on Angel just to not, <laughs> just to have someone that wasn't going to totally get run over if, if Angel had been in that series. And then, and then, you know, as good as Stewie and Natasha Howard are protecting the rim, like they're not, that kind of player isn't totally terrifying to Tiffany because she can still go into them and challenge them. And it's not, you know, this giant, you know, Griner, Cambage kind of presence. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I think it would have been a, a fun matchup to watch. And not very many teams have enough one-on-one defenders to guard Atlanta's backcourt. I mean, that's why there's such a nightmare of a matchup. Because at every position, you've got players that cre- can create their own shot. From Hayes to Bentley to Angel McCautry, you know, when she's healthy. So um, you know that makes it that makes it fun and exciting. And then and so one last one last thing on the angel part of it, you know, just if it comes to it and they just can't get her back on the court at all, I guess how would you say how would you kind of adjust expectations or maybe more appropriately like what you know how do you think that might adjust what seed they're ultimately able to get because Atlanta. You know, the, the the contenders are kind of in two camps because some of them have these new pieces that they just don't need to figure it out. And obviously there are a couple big injuries, but Atlanta does have a little bit of a continuity advantage with for the most part with their big pieces back. What do you think the outlook could be for them to still kind of, you know, maybe can they, you know, get top four? Yeah, they could definitely get top four. My biggest concern for Atlanta, honestly, is just their... I guess number one that stands out to me with the offseason moves and some other teams is just their lack of, like, big, big size. You know, like, if you do play in Vegas, what is that going to look like in the paint? You know, I mean, Elizabeth Williams and Jessica Breland are, what, 6'3 and 6'3? Um, and, and that's why I was kind of surprised that they dealt Imani um, McGee Stafford because, I mean, yeah. at least she gives you 6'7". So now we're talking about, you know, Marie Goulish, you can help some there. And, yeah, defensively, they can come up with some different schemes. You don't always have to have the size. And Elizabeth Woods and Jessica Breeder play much bigger than they are on paper, but that's got to be a concern. Um, I think the other thing is, again, just, you know, experience-wise, are Tiffany Hayes and and and, and uh, Brittany Sykes ready to step up and take the challenge? But... They can finish anywhere one through four, but my expectations are lower if Angel McCartry doesn't return. If she returns and she's Angel McCartry, there's no reason why this team is not in the finals. And it could still be. They could still make the finals, but I think it's going to be really hard without a player of Angel's caliber. Yeah, and I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned Amani right there because that brought me to another player. We should we should at least be sure to stop and talk a little bit about in Monique Billings. I guess like one, in a way, even like even if Gulich makes it and she maybe she isn't ready to play a ton, like do you think do you think Billings is at a point where they could kind of do like what LA had been doing for a couple of years, where they just they just have their three bigs and one comes in for the other and they're 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 just able to able to to make do with that. Yeah, I mean Billings obviously, I mean she's listed as six four. I tell you, she does not look that tall to me. Um, and so I definitely was not overlooking her as I talked about the size, but um, I'm saying she's not six seven. She's not Asia Wilson. She's not you know Liz Cambage. And Asia Wilson to me it looks six five six six. But anyway, um, I love Billings. I absolutely love her. 
I mean, when she comes into the game, something good always happens. She is really close to, I mean, last year she got spotty minutes earlier, more as the time went on. It looks like she's going to play more important minutes this year. Obviously, when we go back to Dantes being gone, I should have mentioned Billings then. But she'll be early. She'll she'll move up in the rotation, and, and I think it's well-deserved. I think she does have to continue working on how she can space the floor, right? Because that's the hardest thing about playing a player like Monique Billings is that Atlanta has so many drivers. Yep. And the more consistently they can hit the three, yeah, Billings is going to get – she's going to get some time. She's a spark. She's quick. She's athletic. I mean, I go back to – I used to last year say she's like a – you know, that, that Agumake type, not not quite that level, but with that kind of pedigree and the way she moves and how slippery she is. She's got that step-through move, too. Great footwork. Um, but it's all going to depend on how the other pieces are working for Atlanta when it comes to how often and, and how they use Monique Billings. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's that was that was another thing that was that was huge for them just to get her in the second round and and yeah, your point about her step through is and it's awesome, and and yeah, the way I mean, just the way she moves, you can tell that she just really, she really has. I think she's found a place with them, um, but in, in yeah, ta- she has. And 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 talking about the dream, I mean, really, there's there's nobody I'd rather talk to about this team because of how much you've been around them in person. And so one thing I wanted to close on was, you know, give your t- to get your take on them getting to move back into State Farm Arena and what this can mean because as much as as much as you know the social media buzz and the stuff at that level is great to talk about you know that that they're they're in a more prominent building and I know like I think you know like traffic seemed to come up a lot people were talking about how tough it was to get to Georgia Tech so so just what what's this going to mean for them uh moving forward yeah I'm excited uh for the team I mean it's a beautiful arena. I was there a few times during the hog season, and it's just top-notch. I mean, it's got all the bells and whistles, big-time basketball. There were some things that I really liked about Georgia Tech, obviously the size, so it's up to the, the, to the dream organization to get enough bodies in State Farm so that, you know, it, it has the home court feel to it. I mean, that's been the challenge for this team, a big one over the years. Is, you know, you get to three WNBA finals, but what is the home crowd like? And you know, what kind of atmosphere can you have in an arena that big? So I'm, I'm excited to be in it, um, you know, to, to spend the summer watching the dream there. I think they, the fans in particular, it just wasn't as accessible. Um, you can take the MARTA right up to State Farm Arena, I mean, right to the door, right? So it gives you that option if you don't want to pay for parking. And then, you know, I mean, they've got more options as far as concessions and things like that. I don't know what all will be open, but I'm just really excited for the team and um, hope the fans will will follow them back in. Yeah, and and we're we're just days away here. And with that in mind, Lachina, let let all the people know where they can follow along with all the all the WNBA stuff that you'll be doing this year, including uh, where people can hear you on the airwaves for a certain team on the East Coast. Yeah, so um, you can 
always follow me on Twitter at LaChina Robinson. And then I will be working for ESPN as an analyst and a sideline reporter on select games throughout the summer. You can find that schedule on ESPN.com. Um, and then I'll also do one Connecticut Sun game August 23rd for their broadcast, which will be on Netflix this year, which is really exciting. Um, and then in terms of other stuff, I've got a podcast called Around the Rim that you can find wherever you find your podcast. Um, on your podcast app, you can follow us at Around the Rim Pod, where we'll be uh, doing some fun stuff and having some cool guests during the WNBA season. Me and uh, my producer, Tarika Foster Bradby. And other than that, you know, just watching all the great work that Ben Dole does, you know, all his breakdowns and stuff. Find me on Twitter following Ben and uh, <laughs> reading all his stuff and taking all his stuff, <laughs> <laughs> taking all your information. No, man, we, I really appreciate all the work you do and, and thank you so much for having me and for, um, this podcast and, and all the work you do for the league. Yep, I appreciate that, and and we'll look forward to that that game with the Sun. That's obviously big news for them, just to just to get that visibility and hopefully to reach reach some new viewers. And of course, I'm I'm sure if anyone anyone listening to this has already subscribed to your podcast, but for the people that aren't, be sure to go subscribe to Around the Rim. It's really fun to get that to get that from uh, from you and Tarika every weekend. We're, we'll look forward to the start of the season here. It's 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 almost here finally, yeah. and and yeah, it, it'll feel good to just yeah, fans. It'll feel good to be back in the mode right. of just watching games. So yeah, um, fans, get your WNBA app if you don't have it. I mean, it's going to be a good resource for you. Download that so you can find games there. And then Ben said that if he at any point this season while in Vegas does go to the table and wins more than ten thousand dollars. <laughs> I'm not gonna test my luck. Like I moved out here, and a couple days later, Liz Cambage got traded. So like that, I'll take that as like my one like you know one case of getting lucky. So to have a player like that in this market as well. So, but Lachina, yeah, thank you. That's major. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty, Lachina, thank you for coming on, and we'll look forward to following along with you all season long.